So here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6. Paul says, But this I say, of course he's saying it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So that each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Amen. Remain standing for a moment. This will be the final of a series of lessons that I've been speaking on this month in March on living in the blessed zone and I've been speaking to you about stewardship as it pertains to finances and I told you that at the first of the year that the Holy Spirit has led me for three major themes this year and this being one of them money the other being marriage and the other being men raising up men of God but coming to this kind of subject I realized that I'm on a sort of an uphill battle here because the propensity of the flesh when it comes to dealing with money is to sometimes resist the word of the Lord but the word of the Lord will set us free because it is the truth and it is that kind of word that's been proven time and time again that if you obey it you cannot lose so I want to talk to you this morning on this thought please I want to talk to you about seed time and harvest. I want you to stretch your hands in my direction because I'm only available to help you as God helps me. Let us pray for each other. My Father, I thank you for the anointed song and music. I thank you for the, the very fragrance of the Holy Spirit that's in this house. Lord, I just continue to need you. Somebody say amen. We all need you, Father. And God, I pray that I will not be bound by my flesh or my human limitations. I pray that if you want me to omit saying something, even though I've prepared to say it, then I pray that you help me to omit it. But I pray if you want me to say it, that I will not back away. But I pray you'd give me balance and clarity of thought and clarity of speech, that I may be a vessel of honor and that I may be an oracle of the Holy Spirit to this wonderful congregation. Father, there's a lot of things we have to do important today, but there's nothing more important that we give our worship and we give our praise to you. So may the word, oh God, just be in our hearts and in our lives, and may we find it to be word that's fallen on good ground that brings a wonderful harvest. And everybody believe, would you say amen? And amen it is, and you may be seated. Thank you very much. Keep your Bibles open, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Amidio Obishi was born in the year 1876 in the city of Venice in the country of Italy, 1876. 
His widowed mother, widowed mother, read him letters that came from his uncle in America. And Armidio told everyone he was going to go to America one day. I know that feeling. Everyone knew that he was an exceptional and bright, enterprising child. By the time Armidio was 11 years old, his family had helped him save enough money for an immigrant's ticket to America. And there he set sail by himself with other travelers, but traveling by himself, no family with him. One story says that Amedio had no money for food, so his mother gave him a bag of peanuts, which was all he had for the 10-day trip across the ocean. In this land of opportunity called America, Amedio at age 11 went to work as a bellhop and as a helper at a fruit stand. He worked hard and saved his money, just as he promised his mother he would do. Amidio soon learned that Americans liked the peanuts he shared with them, but few, if any, were growing them here in the United States. So he found a place to plant the handful of peanuts that he had left, according to the account. While he, his peanuts were growing over the seasons, he saved enough money to buy a horse and wagon. When this peanut crop came in, he drove around calling himself the peanut specialist selling roasted peanuts. Are you hungry yet? <laughs> By 1906, he had developed his own method of blanching and roasting peanuts and founded what we now know today as Planters Peanuts, headquartered in Suffolk, Virginia. Have you ever had some? Have you ever elevated from the peanuts to the cashews? I'm a preacher now. Planters Peanuts. Amidio Obici became wealthy enough to send money back to his family in Italy and years later he gave to the city of Suffolk the Louise Obici Hospital named after his wife. Now Amidio had only a handful of peanuts when he started out but he had the choice of what he could do with them. He could have eaten them or sold them, but he wisely chose to plant what he had so that in time he would have enough to eat, give away, and sell to send money for his family. I don't know if Armidio Obici knew about the law of seed time and harvest in the Bible, but he certainly practiced it based on what Paul is teaching us in our text. If you want to multiply your resources, ladies and gentlemen, you must understand the principle of seed. I want to make a few statements and I'll kind of move through them with haste, but I want them to be the foundation of where the Holy Spirit is leading us for this lesson today regarding seed time and harvest. First of all, do you realize that you and I determine our capacity for blessing? Paul taught that every man decides his own harvest. The capacity of your heart determines your future. Meaning, your reaping is in direct proportion to your sowing. Isn't that what he says in this text? If you sow reluctantly, you will have a minimum harvest. If you are generous, you will have an abundant harvest. Sounds simple, doesn't it? 
It is simple. However, few people, and I'm speaking about those in the kingdom, few people truly live according to this principle. In Galatians 6 and 7, the word says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And it just doesn't have to do alone with money and stewardship. But whatever we sow, the Bible says if you sow to the flesh, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow of the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you sow words of kindness and compliments, it'll come back to you. If you sow deeds of benevolence and generosity, it'll come back to you. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The type and quantity of harvest you receive are determined by your decisions. Here's something I've learned through my personal experience in life and as well as observing other people's life experiences. Our lives are the products of seeds we have sown. All of us are the product of our choices as recent as this morning and as far back as we can remember. The seeds that we have sown. The Bible tells us of Isaac, the son of Abraham, who is an example of a man who understood how to sow seed for an abundant harvest. And I like what is said of him in Genesis chapter 26 verses 12 and 13. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. A famine had devastated the region where Isaac and his family were living. Most of the people at that time had moved to Egypt where the economy was flourishing. But the Lord had appeared to Isaac according to Genesis 22, 26 and 2 and he said this to him. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. With the blessings of the Lord, the Bible says Isaac planted crops in a land of famine and reaped a hundredfold. Because God's principle of seed time and harvest works at any time because God's word doesn't fail. In Proverbs, we are told, chapter 12, verse 11, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Well, that's a little too fancy for me to grasp it all, so I looked it up in another rendition. I looked it up in the contemporary English version of the Bible, and it said, hard-working farmers have more than enough food. Daydreamers, however, are nothing more than stupid fools. Don't get mad at me. I didn't inspire that. Isaac did not follow the crowd. He was led by the word of God. How many know the word of God is seed to us? How many know if we take the word of God and plant it in our heart that it will bring forth harvests immeasurable? 
That's what Isaac did. And I want to say to you this morning, if you are going to prosper, there will be times that you must refuse the so-called wisdom of the world. Even when the economy is suffering, and all of us know that the economy is suffering, even when the economy is suffering, it is always a good time to plant seed. Matter of fact, if you intend to eat any time, whether the economy is bad or not, it's always good to plant seed. Now, many people have the opposite strategy concerning times of lack. People hide and hoard and succumb to the pressures of fear rather than the true principle of seed time and harvest. But I want you to get this. I want you to understand that seed is the key to multiplication in the natural realm of creation, in our natural world, as well as in the world of God's blessings to us by way of stewardship. Seed is the key to multiplication. In our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You want to write this down. Mine and your giving to God cannot operate the principle of Scripture unless I give with integrity. Somebody say amen. amen. Many people in the kingdom of God fail to receive a harvest from their giving because they give reluctantly or under compulsion. Grudgingly or of necessity. To give reluctantly means to give out of annoyance, pain, grief. And every one of us at some time or the other have been annoyed at an offering. Don't say amen because it would indict me and I don't want to be indicted. And while the appeal may be urgent and the need may be very evident, sometimes we preachers in our passion to get a good offering may resolve the strategies that may not always be biblical and in order to shut us up folks give although it's like pulling a teeth and the bible says don't give with that kind of reluctance and then it says we are not to give out of compulsion meaning necessity compulsive giving means that you are imposed upon to give or required to give by legal obligation the old testament is filled with legal obligations to give this or give that in the new testament however giving is placed on a higher order now here's a truth that i have learned in this series of lessons on stewardship and i want you to grasp it if you can the only time law is required is when the heart is absent let me explain that statement we all know in the courtrooms of America they are filled with fathers receiving judgments and court orders to pay child support to their children to their own flesh and blood children it is sad to say, but it requires the law to get these deadbeat fathers to do what is right. It should be, church, a burning desire in the heart of any father to take care of their own flesh and blood. They ought to never have to be made to do it. 
you ought to clap there. I think it's okay. But because some fathers will not assume their responsibility, the law is required because their heart is absent from it. The same principle is true for Christians. It should not require the law of the Word of God to compel us to do what is right. It should be on our hearts to give whatever we can, whenever we can. We shouldn't have to get up and beg and plead and say, this percent do that and that percent do that. We, we as pastors, we as Christians should not, should not have to be implored to do what is already right. We, we shouldn't have to feel legally obligated oppression after all that God has already done for us. If we in America don't get another blessing, if you and I in America do not get another blessing, we've been so far blessed that we're way behind on saying thank you, Lord. Can we say thank you, Lord, just because it's right? And so sometimes we, we feel we have to impose on people, but that's not the way it should be because the Lord blesses those who give out of the abundance of their blessings and joy. In this scripture, I see the Apostle Paul teaching us some principles on the practice of giving. Let, let me hasten to tell you. Number one, he says, give generously. In verse number six, it says, but this I say to you, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And Paul is saying, if you want to produce a lot, Invest a lot. Somebody say amen. amen. Then he says, give cheerfully. If you notice farmers, when they go to sow seed during the springtime, they don't begrudge the amount of seed they have to buy to sow. Because farmers understand that in order to get a bountiful harvest, they're going to have to invest money and buy seed. And they're going to have to buy more seed if they want to have more harvest. Can I get an amen? amen? And that's why in the latter part of verse 7 of our text, it says... For God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful comes from the Greek word which means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Oh, I live for the day when people just throw up money and hallelujah, hallelujah, I get to give, I get to give. That's the day I will also die in the pulpit, but I live for the day. The word is hilarious. And I suggest to you that regardless of the size of your offering, the measure of your blessing comes from the attitude in your giving. You should see some folks from where I see them, and you all do too sometimes when it comes offering time. It's like I'm getting ready to do a root canal on you all. It's like if... Some of you had a remote button and you could just disappear through the floor, you might. I want to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself as a, a person who have the capacity to induce people to give. There are people who have the capacity to make the need known, to speak the words, and to, uh, and to create in the sense of the people the, the uh, understanding of the need. 
And I want to tell you one of the things, though, the hardest things I do is receive special offerings and raise funds. And yet somehow in God's providence of doing things, he has tied into the system of the people bringing their tithe and offerings in order for the ministry of the work of God to continue in the world. There's sometimes I would rather say to God, you got streets in heaven made of gold. Send me down a few chunks so I don't have to beg for an offering. I didn't lose all this here because I'm just old and feeble. I've had to raise some offerings. I'll move on. I'm getting in the flesh. He says, give cheerfully. Then he says, give prayerfully. Can I get an amen? Yeah. After the appeal is made, after the need has been made known, then everybody used to pray. Say, Lord, the Bible teaches me that I am to give according to my blessings. The offering I give should represent me. So a millionaire giving a hundred bucks doesn't represent him. He's robbing God. But a widow giving five bucks on a limited income may represent her. Can I get a witness here? So when the appeal is made, everybody is to say, God, the pastor said give a 10, but, but if I have a capacity to give a 15 or a 20 because you bless me, I should, I should prayerfully say this is a need the whole church has uh, to send a missionary or build a church or to, or to do other kinds of works of benevolence in the kingdom. What is my responsibility based on your blessings to me? Prayerfully. Then the Bible says give logically. To give logically means that we determine that it is our best choice to honor God first. Can I get an amen? amen? The logic of the scripture and the logic that God blesses is that we bring the first fruits of our blessings. The first 10% of our paycheck, which is called the tithe, the first fruit we give to the Lord. Because there is power packed in the first 10% when it's given to the Lord. The first 10% given to the Lord means the rest is already blessed. The other fruit is going to come in. So logically then, I don't give the mortgage company the first. The mortgage company deserves theirs because you borrowed with the intent to pay back, so you need to keep your name good. Help me preach or I will do it by myself. The logic means that GMC and Chrysler and Ford don't get it first because you wouldn't have it if God didn't give it. Uh, oh, this kind of preaching also makes you think maybe if you had a remote button for the preacher. The logic is every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Everything I have, oh my, 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 it's not my intellect, it's not my inheritance, it is not my, my charisma, my charm, my education. Everything I have, God gives me and he deserves the first and the best. Now, here, here are some questions we have to address. How do you view the money you control? Do you see it? as being there to meet your need? Is it there to satisfy your greed? Or do you see it as seed? The highest use of money is seed. The 
language of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is the language of seed, church. Think about a farmer, if you will, who has a sack of seed. He has several options. He could grind the whole sack of seed into flour for bread and then hope that somebody will come along later and give him more seed for planting. Or he could use some of the seed for bread and take the other part of the seed for planting. If he sows that seed that is remaining, he is going to get a harvest much larger than the original seed. Look at what the scripture says. Verse 10 of our text. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Notice this, verse 10. Notice that it doesn't say God supplies seed to the keeper. He supplies seed to the sower, those who will scatter. He supplies blessings and income, money. Not to those who are keepers, me, myself, I, my security. But he supplies it to the sower. Now, there are people who observe other people in their giving, and they say something like this. Sure, that guy is a giver. He can afford to be. He's got money. The fact of the matter is, they have that backwards. That guy has money because he's a giver. God is supplying seed to the sower. Now, I don't want to be mean or unkind, but I do want to be truthful to the Word of God. There are some precious people that God wants to bless, but they will never have money blessings because they won't get their heart right. God does not supply seed to the keeper, and according to this verse, He does more than just supply seed to the sower. Look what it says. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. That means that God is fully aware of all of our material needs. He knows that we have a mortgage payment, a car payment. He knows that we have to pay utility bills. He knows that we have kids in high school and kids in college. He knows that sometimes we have to go to the dentist or the doctor. So he doesn't just supply seed for us to sow it, but he supplies our need when we put him first. Somebody say amen. But God wants us to use some of the seed, some of our income to supply our needs and a portion of it to sow seed. And, and he doesn't stop there. He adds a promise about seed. Supply seeds to the sower, bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Get these words. Supply and multiply. God is the only one who can supply our seed. And God is the only one who can multiply it. And when he does, he will also increase the fruit of our righteousness. Amen. Let me build on that just a minute. You see, God's not interested in we being known as somebody who drives a nice car, live in a nice house, and pay all our bills on time. And that is a wonderful testimony. But God is concerned about our purity, about our sanctification, about our attitude. He's concerned about our righteousness. He's concerned about our language. Somebody help me here. He's concerned about overcoming the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Can somebody say amen? Because for some people, they can do all right by giving money, but they have a hard time on Saturday night abstaining from some junk that will corrupt their life or the rest of the week. 
Help me here, church. And I think there's a crying need in America for not so much more money in the church, but more righteousness and peace and joy and purity in the Holy Ghost. Somebody ought to give a lot of thanks. I am preaching this message because I want you to be freed up and blessed in your finances, but that's not the whole of it. I want you to be blessed in your language, in your attitude, in your lifestyle, in your body, and how you truly represent the, the light and the salt that you and I are supposed to be. And if there's anything in my life I need more of, and maybe you, is more of the righteousness of God. Multiply it, Lord. So, Paul tells us several other things. He says, like begats like. Now, I know that sounds self-evident. You can figure that out by yourself, but you would be surprised at how often people expect things to work some other way in their life. Get a hold of this truth, okay? It's a no-brainer, but I have to say it because I just, you know, until we get it. The truth is that if you sow corn, you are going to get... Ah, oh, this is a bright class. The first class didn't get it too good. If you sow wheat, you are going to get... Wheat. And Paul says, if you sow money, you're going to reap money. It, it's a law that was established at creation at the beginning of the world. Here's what the Lord said at creation, what God himself said regarding like begetting like in Genesis 1 and 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and so it was. Verse 12, And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the trees that yield fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Things multiply after their kind. Like begets like. Kind begets kind. Again, the farmer. Can you imagine a farmer standing in a field in which he has sown wheat seeds and being frustrated because corn is not coming up? That is foolishness. But that's precisely what many Christians do. They expect a harvest of something they never planted. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again, but... The folks who are waiting for ships to come in at the seashore that ain't never send any ships out might as well go home. Whew, that's a whoop glory preaching right there. Boy. And the folks who are waiting for God to give them a financial bailout who don't tithe and give might as well start tithing and giving. Because like begets like. I'm not trying to talk to you about some holy get-rich scheme. I know this seed time and harvest message have been abused by television preachers and other people and making promises to people that God never made. And I'm very cautious to preach this for fear that it would be misunderstood. But I'm also very sensitive to tell you that God's law will not change. And while there are those who corrupt it, God's going to deal with them. But if you and I obey the principles of Scripture, God is going to bless us in our finances, in our marriage, in our bodies, in our jobs. Can somebody say thank you, Jesus, or give the Lord a clap? 
please hear me church I will pray for anybody who asks me to pray for them but the Bible says to them that know what to do good and do with it not to them it's a sin and it's wrong for Christians to ask God to help them when they've not obeyed God it's one thing to know what to do and don't do it it's one thing to not to know and you're ignorant of it and here's the point there are people who know about tithing, who know about giving, who know about sowing seed, who know about putting God first. But they kind of treat the Bible like a multiple choice book. Oh, uh, I'm coming on, I'm coming on. I may have to pour some of that water on this bald head, but I am a coming on. It's amazing how super spiritual some Christians get. In the hospital, in the intensive care, or in some kind of way that the doctor says there's a spot on my lung and the biopsy shows that it could be malignant yes. pray pray somebody yes. it's amazing how people want the church to pray for their son or daughter who may be involved in a crime or an addiction or their marriage has gone on the rock so to speak and all of a sudden they get very spiritual and they're asking God to do a lot of stuff when they haven't darkened the door of a church in a whole year where they haven't even given an offering to God where they haven't even prayed a prayer for somebody else but all of a sudden they're so spiritual give me give me I know God is merciful and kind but the Bible says about us do not cast your pearls before swines and therefore God will not bless us so we can abuse that blessing but God will bless us if we read the Bible we pray we attend church we give our tithe and offering and we bless others if we are already doing what is right then we are not a stranger to God we are not a second-class citizen or adopted son or daughter when we've already spent time with God when the need arises we come boldly into his throne room and there he answers our prayers somebody give the Lord thanks There's a right order about this too. You reap after you sow. Again, I know that seems like everybody should already know that, but you might not believe the number of people who say something like this. Someday when I have money, I'm going to be a giver. It ain't never going to happen. Matter of fact, if I, if, if I was waiting on the people who was going to win the lottery to help me build this church you're sitting in, we'd be sitting in the shack. Yeah. When I get more money, I'm going to start giving. It'll never happen because you cannot reap before you sow. It's just the way God has established this principle in the order of things. Here is God's order of things according to Genesis 8 and 22. While the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. Seed first, then harvest. While the earth remains, there'll be winter and then there'll be spring. Coal and heat, winter and summer, and the day and night shall not cease. I don't care what your name is and where you're from and what country you're from and what you know and how many degrees you got behind your name. You ain't going to change that. Yeah. You ain't going to pull up collard greens if you ain't sewing them up first. Preach. Yeah. You're not going to get up naters in the, spring, in the summertime if you ain't sewing some in the springtime. It's a natural order. You reap after you sow. Jesus came along and he confirmed this process of sowing and reaping that you'll reap after you sow he said in mark 4 26 the kingdom of god is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow he himself doesn't know how isn't it a mystery yeah it's a mystery how you could take one kernel of corn and put it in the ground in the uh, in, in the, the springtime 
and you leave it alone but you water it and you make sure the ground is kept and the thing is nice and about, about three or four weeks later here's something going on for the earth yields crop by itself first the blade then the head and after the full grain in the head but when the grain ripens immediately he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come Jesus is saying and we all agree that you're only going to reap after you sow we would all agree also it would be foolish for a farmer to stand in a field waiting for a crop to come up when he's never planted a seed. And we hear people say things like this, if God will help me close this business deal, I'm going to start giving to the church. Uh-uh. The Bible says it is those who are faithful in little things that God will make ruler of many things. And then, then, then a, then a thought here for you multiplication you reap more than you sow can somebody say praise the Lord oh yeah you take you take a couple of kernel of planted seed corn and you wait for them to come up and then you have a stalk with several ears ears of corn and each ear of corn will contain hundreds of seed kernels approximately 400 that's a pretty good return isn't it because in God's economy you know, we, in, this, in this economy we're living in, we're hearing a lot about compounded interest. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone know what compounded interest is? It's turned into confounded interest. You know why? Because they're giving you peanuts, pardon the expression, for whatever money you put in. They're celebrating that 0.5% on your money market is a real big deal. It ain't. Unless you was born last night. But yes, there is this thing of compounded interest that, that does work. Can I get a witness here now? Yes, given the economy being good and the interest rates being good and they tell us, they tell young people that you ought to start your retirement account early. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Uh, you ought to have an IRA early and those kind of things because, because it does work. It works even in a, in a low income interest. There's a miracle, they call it the miracle of compounding interest. You know what I'm talking about? So that if you start a retirement account at age 25, by the time you're age 65, and that's about 40 years, if you've, if you've started that account, now you just don't put it there, okay? You can put 2,000 there and you will reap something later on, okay? You'll reap a return even if you just put 2,000 and just leave it alone. But oh, help this handsome, bald-headed preacher, Jesus. I woke you up. I woke you up because you're looking for that preacher. Listen to me instead. In this compounded interest economy, you don't just put 2,000 at age 25 and leave it there if you're going to reap bountifully. You add to it each month and each year and it compounds and compounds and compounds so that you have multiples of returns. And I'm saying to you that in God's economy, you're going to reap more than you sow. Here's, here's something that the Holy Spirit showed me. In Psalms, Chapter 126, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I know that there are people now who may be in that sowing in tears time. Maybe it's very difficult financially for you to sow anything. How dare the preacher get up and tell us, in order to have an economic bailout, we got to sow. Because it works. But some of you have been laid off your job or lost your job or looks like you might be the next one out based on the order and priority of companies laying off. And so you're sowing in tears. You're still giving anyhow. God bless you. Let me tell you something else. 
Some of you are sowing in tears, not because it's about the money. The money's not the issue, but he said he doesn't love you anymore. He's found somebody else, and you're sowing in tears. You're still coming to church. That's sowing. You're still reading your Bible. That's sowing. Can I get an amen here? You're still, you're still doing the things that are right. You refuse to cuss and swear and get mad. You're sowing. Some, some of you are sowing because you, you, you're sowing and you're crying because your son's not doing right, your daughter's not doing right, you, you, your other issues, and your, your body is not well, and you're going through physical pain, and you're sowing in tears, and you're waiting for that time when you reap more than you sow. And I want to tell you, it never fails, the principle of God's word. Because the Bible says that you will doubtless come again, bringing your sheaves with you. That means that you'll doubtless come again given the day and the time, the Holy Spirit, God's chronology of things. Because you've been faithful, God will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings. There will not be room to contain. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you this. I got to find a place to quit this message. But uh, thank you, Brother Willie. All I needed was one man on my side. <laughs> you know, what you sent up there is what you're going to meet when you get up there. Amen. Huh? If you sow sparingly, you'll get sparingly. Uh, the story is told of a, a rich man, a rich man who died and, and went to heaven. And though he was rich in the world's goods, he was very uncharitable towards God. He lived in a large mansion, had maids, servants, and helpers, and lacked nothing on the earth. When he got to heaven, he was amazed at the mansions and beauty. While the angels was escorting him to his home in heaven, he saw a rather beautiful mansion and asked whose it was. And the angel told him it was the place of James, his former butler, lived there. A little further down the road, he, uh, he saw another place that left him awestruck and he asked the angel, he said, whose place is that? And the angel said, Charles lived there, your former driver. This rich man thought, he thought, if my butler and driver receive such lovely mansions, I can't wait to see mine. To his surprise, he was taken down an alley and directed to a one-room shack. No windows, no tables, no chairs, just a shack. And the angel said, this is your place. And he said, pardon me, there must be a mistake. Uh, the angel said, no, 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 no mistake. We used what you set up, and this amounts to all that you have sent up. Mm. Well, I want to tell you something. God will take care of his own. God will take care of his own. Bow your heads.